Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome again to Restore 10. I hope you've been blessed, encouraged, strengthened, and challenged. You know, as I was reflecting on yesterday's meeting, it is, it is so evident that God does not just want to restore one or two or nine. He wants to bring a complete restoration to humanity. And everybody and anybody that's willing to put themselves in his hands because he's the one doing the work. Remember, in the first commandment, as we looked at that, he, he wants to restore faithfulness in our life, but that's, that was laid on the foundation of his faithfulness, his commitment, his devotion. And he said, I will give you a new heart, and I will take away the stony heart, and I will give you my spirit so that you can walk in my ways. Such a powerful promise. Yesterday, we looked at the second commandment, and God would give us a word picture of what his glory is, his holiness, and we would see different attributes as he proclaimed his name. He would demonstrate that and how he interacted with the Israelites, and that was there for an example. He demonstrates that and how he interacts with us today. And he wants to restore holiness in our lives. And, you know, every law, every, every bit of the law is absolutely essential. It will bring, when, when you come to know God as he would have us know him, it will bring a revival of faith in our lives. I want to share this quote with you before I get into the message this morning or this afternoon. Faith I live by. It is only as the law of God is restored to its rightful position that there can be a revival of primitive faith and godliness among God's professed people. Now, I've heard this term primitive godliness before, but I've I have not heard the term primitive faith. Now, the reason why we're doing this seminar is that there's a burden on my heart that people would know God. There's a burden on my wife's heart that our youth and myself as well, that the, the youth would know God. You see, because this is a fact. There's not a Christian in the world today that's going to fully, completely, and totally surrender to a God they do not know and understand. There may be some submission, but there will not be a full and complete submission. And that's what God needs in order to transform the whole life. And so, what's in a name? When I go and I'm, I'm looking at buying some tools... I used to be a carpenter and, and build. When I go to look at a tool, I look at the name brand. I look at the reviews. If it's not a tool, a name I'm familiar with, I'll look at the reviews. I'll talk to people and see what they think about it. And then I may purchase it. I'm looking for something that's trustworthy. I'm looking for a good name. There's many people and companies that they go to great lengths to, per, to build up their name and to protect their reputation. And when their name comes up in a conversation, they want people to say good things about them. And so what is in the name? Yesterday we discovered that is in the name, what's in the name is God's character. And so this morning I invite you, this afternoon, I keep saying this morning, this afternoon I invite you to kneel with me. I'm going to pray one more time before we open the word of God. Gracious, loving Father, we thank you for this opportunity to bow humbly before you and to open your word and break the bread of life, to look at this third commandment and what you would have us understand in regards to this 
particular attribute of your life, of who you are. Father, I know you want to revive us and you want to bring a revival of primitive faith and godliness in our life, and it's something that we need as a people, as a church. So we're asking that your spirit will be with me, that Christ would be lifted up, and that, Father, you speak to the hearts of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, please, to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9. The Israelites had now got, had, had crossed the Jordan. They, the Jericho had been conquered. Ai had been conquered. And they're progressing into the land of Canaan. And the nations around them are quite concerned. And there's a particular nation, uh, a group of people, the Gibbonites, that realize as they hear the stories of what happened to the Egyptians and as the, how they came across the Jordan and what happened to Jericho and Ai, these people came up with a very, very crafty plan. And they would approach Joshua and the leaders of the camp and uh, they would make up a story to convince them that they came from a land very far off. And Joshua and the princes bought into it. They were a little suspicious, but eventually they were persuaded, and they bought into it. And 15, verse 15, I want to start there and go down through a few verses here. And Joshua had made peace with them, and he made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them, and it came to pass at the end of three days after they had made a league with them that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel, and as, and, and the children of Israel journeyed and they came unto their city of the third day and now their city were Gibeon. And, you know, they were coming to conquer this city. And they would discover that the the, the, the group that had come to see them were of these people. They were pretty upset. And the children of Israel smote them not because the princes of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said unto all the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now, therefore, we may not touch them. They took an oath. They swore by the name of the God that was leading them, the one they claimed to live for and live by. Even though there were people in the camp that were quite upset and would have it another way, they were not going to go against their word. They were not going to take God's name in vain. And so you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless. You see, they were not only supposed to, as they, as they swore by that name, but they were to live up to everything that God had revealed to them about himself. They were to represent that God. And so that's what they did. The Israelites, the leaders would stay true and faithful there. You know, there was a provision made, God had made provision that if anybody, 
of the surrounding nations, if they would turn away from their wicked ways and their, and their false worship, and they would come and want to join themselves with the camp of the Israel as a nation, he made provision for that. You can read about it in Leviticus 19.33. And so this commandment, it not only forbids false oaths and common swearing, but it forbids the use of God's name in a light or careless manner without regard to its awful significance. You know, when we take God's name upon our lips, it means something. It's supposed to mean something. It's interesting, the Israelites and even the Jews at the time of Jesus, they would, they would take extra precaution. And even today, there's a very, very careful way. Uh, some don't even want to utter the name because they consider it so sacred. But their lives, their lives do not harmonize with the character of God, with what their profession is. Jesus dealt with that. He said, these people draw near to me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And when God would proclaim his name to Moses, he was doing it because he wanted them to know that, look, this is not just who I am, but this is what I want you to be. It's not just about taking God's name, taking the name Christian, but it's about living the life. Jesus would proclaim in his prayer in John 17, 26, I've declared thy name unto them. How did he do that? How did Jesus declare his father's name to all those around him? It was through integrity. He lived a life of integrity. So what's it mean? It's the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, the state of being whole or undivided, incorruptibility. You see, integrity, biblical integrity, takes us one way. It takes us to the heart of God. It is something that Jesus demonstrated throughout his whole ministry. There was no distinction he made between race, color, rich, poor, no matter what class. Jesus came to minister to all. And he gave us a beautiful example. This here comes from Prophets and Kings, page 369. No distinction on account of nationality, race, or caste is recognized by God. He is the maker of all mankind. All men are of one family by creation, and all are of one through redemption. Christ came to demolish every wall of partition, to throw open every compartment of the temple courts that every soul may have free access to God. It did not matter worldview. It did not matter what nation you belonged to. When the Roman centurion came and he asked for help, Jesus would give it to him. When the Canaanite woman would ask for deliverance for her daughter, Jesus would do it for her. Why? Because he did not discriminate. It was about revealing the heart of his father to all races, all nations, all kinders, all tongues. My mother taught me some very good principles growing up. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, on the west side in the ghetto. It was a melting pot of culture. And my mother taught me, don't you ever be biased or prejudiced towards somebody else because of their skin color or the way they talk or where they're from. 
And I'm glad she taught me that. She not only told me that, she lived it herself. She gave me a beautiful example of that. And so I grew up with friends from different races, different nationalities, and I loved it. I felt comfortable. And it did not matter if somebody else in that culture or nationality or race behaved wrongly. It did not change the way I was going to reflect on the whole race. And it's sad today that there's, there's people that call themselves Christian and yet will hold, hold biases or prejudice in their heart towards another color of people or nationality. It's, it breaks my heart and it's, and it's absolutely appalling to hear a preacher preach from the pulpit and talk and, about another race as if his is inferior to theirs. Because that's not what Christ came to do. He came to minister to all, no matter what color, where they had come from, rich or poor, free or bond. He came to minister to them. And I'm so glad he came to give us that example, friends. He lived a life of integrity. And I was thinking about other people in the Bible I could talk about this morning that lived a life of integrity. There were so many of them. And I was encouraged to just take a couple of them and really talk about that person. So I chose this morning Joseph. Joseph was a man of integrity. But it didn't happen overnight. Of course, it's something that's developed in our life. It's something that will continue to develop in our life as God's transforming us. But being betrayed by his brothers, off to prison, he wasn't about, woe is me. He went there and he proposed in his heart that he was going to reflect Christ. He was going to reflect the God of his fathers. And he was going to trust God to work through him so that others could know the true living God. And so he would serve in Potiphar's house as a slave. He was faithful in stewardship. He worked earnestly. He worked not as if he was serving a man, but he worked as if he was serving God every day. And that's what integrity does in a Christian's life. It's not about pay. It's not about the type of job you have. It's about reflecting Christ all the way through the day. He did that, and he built a good reputation, so much so that when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, which he refused, holding up to moral purity, that Potiphar himself was wise enough to know that this was a man of integrity and he would put him away in prison, but he wouldn't take his life. I can assure you, if Potiphar knew for one moment that this man would compromise on moral purity, he would have had him put to death right there and then. But he had observed Joseph in his house, being faithful in his stewardship, faithful in how he conducted himself, faithful in how he acted around other people, and he knew he was a man of moral purity, and he would not take the man's life. He spent time in prison. What did he do there? He worked hard. Again, he ministered to people 
of different race, different class, and he treated them as he wanted to be treated. He was kind. He was considerate. He was nurturing to the point that, that, that the prison captain, the, the guard, put him on top, said, you run the prison. You take care of it. He earned respect because he was respectable. He earned the position because he was faithful to all that he put his hand to. When I was uh, coming into a walk with God, I had found myself being delivered from a, a very corrupt lifestyle, and I was in prison for a little bit of time. And as I was reading the Bible day in and day out, I was so excited about the things I was learning, and I was sharing Bible studies with other people. And one day, a conflict broke out between me and another inmate, and he was a man of another color. And it got pretty intense, and before you knew it, we were in a full-out fight. And as we were fighting, it was as if God stood in and he broke it up, divided us apart, and everything came to a halt. And I was shocked. I couldn't, I couldn't believe that we, the things escalated to that point. But I was mad. And I said to him, get eyes in the back of your head because I'm coming to get you. Now, I went and sat on one side of the room and he sat down on the other side of the room. And I'll tell you what, as soon as I sat down, God convicted me and said, look, you go over there and apologize to that man. And I'm thinking to myself, apologize to him? He hit me first. But there's something about Christianity. You know, we can tell people about the Word of God. We can tell them what is truth. But if they don't see it lived in the life, it means nothing. There's no power in it. And God was teaching me at that point early on in my walk with God that, you know what, Dennis? You're going to share these beautiful truths with people, but you're going to live the truth. And that means you're going to represent me right. And it did, I did not sit there and argue with God. I was just shocked that that thought came to my mind. And I stood up and I walked across the room and you could hear a pin drop because everybody else was waiting for it to break out again. And I walked across the room and I put out my hand and I said, look, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? He was shocked too. And I said, can we pray later? And he agreed to it. I walked back across the room. It was still silent as all get out. And I sat down and another inmate looked at me and he says, I can't believe you did that. I couldn't believe it either. But what I told him was it was the right thing to do. See, a life of integrity is going to choose to do what's right because it is right. And the only reason I could do that was by the power of God. You know, we tell people, Christ, Christians tell people today, we're saved by grace, right? That's true, we're saved by grace. But grace doesn't just leave us where we're at. Grace empowers us. Grace ennobles us. Grace lifts us up out of the pit of sin and puts us on the course to the cross and the transformation of life. And I'll challenge you to look up the word grace. Look at what it means. In the Greek, 
It makes reference to divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. It's not cheap grace. It's grace, grace that's powerful, that's transforming in our lives. And so when we say we're saved by grace, let us understand what it means. It's not just God's favor. It's God's power to transform us. So what instances does somebody willingly take another person's name? When do you take somebody else's name? Marriage, right? When you're adopted, right? You, take, you, you're, you might be a little kid, but you take on somebody else's name. What's another way? When you're baptized. See, when you're married, there's vows taken, exchanged, commitments made. When you're adopted, there's documentation signed, and you're brought into a new family. When you step into the baptismal tank, you're telling people you have counted the cost, and you're turning your back on the world, and now you're going to live for Christ. So you're taking the name Christ. You know, the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. How did they get that name? They got that name because they acted just like their master. They followed the one that was leading them all the way. There was no, there was no half-heartedness. They didn't, they didn't live for Christ one day, and the next day when Jesus ascended into heaven, they, they walked a different way. People recognized that they acted just like Jesus, and they called them Christians. So what's in the name? It's character. And that's what God would have us understand today. What makes up character? Thoughts and feelings make up moral character. We're told in Testimonies to the Church, Volume 5, page 310. So you have to ask yourself the question, who has your thoughts and who is influencing your feelings? What are you beholding? What are you listening to? because that's what you will become. When I had gotten out of prison, I was living at a homeless shelter and I was reading through the Bible again, cover to cover. And I just got done watching one of my favorite action-packed movies. You know, a lot of things blowing up and immorality and violence, it was just terrible, you know. And here I am, I'm reading the Bible, I'm giving Bible studies with people, I'm going to church, and I went to my room that night, and I just so happened to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 33. That was where I was at that night. And I love God's timing and the way he leads and guides and instructs us. And I want to encourage you, if, if you're just attending church, if you're just coming out to prayer meeting once in a while, and you're not reading your Bible you do not give God an opportunity to speak to you. Now, I've talked to many Christians at times, even people that are not really Christian but profess to be Christian in a way, and they say, well, I, I talk to God. I said, okay, you talk to God. Well, that's good. I said, how's God talk to you? Well, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's through the Word of God. You know what it's like? I can only imagine it's like this with God. When 
when you're constantly just praying to God, just praying to God, you're pouring out your needs and your wants and your cares and your frustrations and things that bother you in your life, and you're just you're constantly doing that. And he's just waiting to speak to you, but you never give him a chance. Now let me ask you something. If you were involved in a in a very close friendship or in a marriage, and your spouse would constantly talk and constantly talk, or your best friend would constantly talk and constantly talk, and, and every time you'd get ready to say something, they'd put their hand up and say, I'm not done talking yet. Would that be a good friendship or a relationship to be in? Absolutely not. Would you want to remain in that relationship? No, you would not. That's what it's like with God. When, when, it, when His children constantly bring their cares and frustrations, wants and needs to him, but they never open the word, they never spend time with him in the word, and allow him to speak to them. Because if you do that, you'll hear God's voice. I've heard people ask me before, how do you know you're hearing God's voice? Well, open the word of God. What you're reading is God speaking to you right there and then. It doesn't matter if it was written or spoken thousands of years ago, it still applies to us today. And here I was in Isaiah chapter 33. And I'm reading through it. And my eyes come up to verse 14. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall dwell with a devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with after everlasting burnings? Very good question. And I'm so glad that God doesn't just leave it there. You know, God's a consuming fire. He's holy. He's pure. And if we expect to go to heaven, we need to know what it's going to take to get there. And he would answer the question, he that walks righteously and speaks uprightly. Yes, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm reading. Yeah, that's, that's right. He that despises the gain of oppression and, sh and shaketh his hands from holding a bribes. That's right, Lord, I'm, I'm seeking to walk righteously. I, I want to speak right and be, conduct myself properly. I don't want to oppress nobody. I'm not taking no bribes. Oh, but wait a minute, Dennis. He that stops his ears from hearing of blood and shuts his eyes from seeing evil. Wow, what timing. What I just got done watching, God's saying, you know what? If you're going to walk with me, that needs to go. If you're going to profess my name, you're taking the name Christian on you, and you're going to live like that, you're watching that, it'd be better for you to just step away from my name then misrepresent me. God made a beautiful promise to us if we heed that. He says, He shall dwell on high. His place of munition shall, his place of defense shall be the munition of rocks. Bread shall be given and his water shall be sure. Thy eyes shall see the king and his beauty. You shall behold the land that is very far off. I tell you what, friends, if we plan on going home, if we plan on going to heaven and living in an earth made new, we definitely have to live a life of integrity and separate ourselves from the things of this world that represent Satan and his character. Reading this quote from letter 244, 1907. For thousands of years, Satan has been experimenting upon the properties of the human mind and he has learned to know it well. Wow. Wow. By his subtle workings in these last days, he is linking, don't miss this, he is linking the human mind with his own, imbuing it with his thoughts, 
and he is doing his, this work in so deceptive a manner that those accept the guidance know not that they are being led by him at his will. The great deceiver hopes the soul to confuse the minds of men and women that none but his voice is heard. If you've never heard this quote, I'm going to ask you to take a picture of it and read it every day. If we think for one moment that we can sit there and feast upon the enemy's buffet and not be affected by him, we're wrong. I remember talking to somebody about this and they said, you know what, that, that stuff doesn't affect me. It doesn't bother me. I said, really? I said, let's be honest. Let's, be, let's just be honest. I'll start here. Have you ever seen a child watch a cartoon and five minutes later, they're acting out the very thing they just did or they just watched? Have you seen it before? Yes. The person said to me, absolutely, I see it all the time. My little brother does that. Right, what happened? He wasn't behaving like that last week. Well, what happened was a biblical principle just came out. By beholding, you become changed. And then I asked the individual, I said, you know, when you watch, watch something, do you, do you use the same catchphrases? Do you use the same body language? Do you start acting the same way? Yeah, that's happened before. I said, so don't tell me it doesn't affect you. It absolutely affects you. You know, Satan is linking his mind with the human mind today. And we're the ones that give him free access to it. Every time we turn on the media and we watch something that's, that promotes his character, if it's violent, if it's crime, if it's immoral, that's not, those are not the character traits of God. Where's the integrity in that? How am I, I going to watch this stuff, listen to this stuff, read these things, and then say I'm a Christian? You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.21, you cannot drink of the Lord's table. You can't drink of the Lord's cup and the cup of devils. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and table of devils. David understood this very thing. Yeah, he had his ups and downs. But he would say in Psalms 101.3, he says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I will not cling to it. I won't, I won't allow it to cleave to me. I will turn away from it. And I like how it says it in the, the New King James Version. It says, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And so today, how many worthless and wicked things are Christians, Seventh-day Adventist Christians, setting before their eyes. Do you sit there and watch a sitcom that promotes immorality, crime, lying, and so forth, and laugh at it? What's funny, let me ask you something, friends, what's funny about sin? When you look at the world and you look at the degradation and the heartache and the devastation and the brokenness in lives and families, and you look at little children that are, are born in a home where the parents are dysfunctional and they're addicts, they're overcome by the enemy and that child grows up and he's just like that. What's funny about it? There's nothing at all funny about sin. 
But it amazes me that, that Christians, and even I'll say it again, Seventh-day Adventist Christians would sit there and watch things that promote crime, violence, immorality, wickedness, while they're eating popcorn and act as if it's no big thing. There's no integrity there in that life. God's calling us to a life of integrity, friends. Philippians 4.8 tells us, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, all right, is there truth in it? Is it ennobling us? Does it bring us closer to God? Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, read that verse before you turn on the social media next time or you turn on the TV or put the CD in. And if you, can't, if you cannot invite Christ to sit there with you to watch something, then you should not be watching it. I understood what God was saying to me here in Isaiah 33. Dennis, if you're going to live for me, if you're going to take that name, Christian, then you need to separate yourself from the things of the world. Don't feast on the enemy's buffet. I got something far better for you. There's a quote from Review and Herald. If there's any way by which Satan can gain access to the mind, he will sow his tares and cause them to grow until they yield an abundant harvest. In no case can Satan obtain dominion over the thoughts, words, and actions unless we voluntarily open the door and invite him in to enter. He will then come in and by catching away the good seed sown in the heart, make, it, make of none effect the truth. I had been talking to my son about these very, these very principles here, about not feeding on the enemy's buffet. We just read this quote from Adventist Home about uh, being a faithful centel over our eyes and our ears and the things we watch and allow come into our hearing. We had a nice discussion about that, and then God gave us a beautiful object lesson. We went out back to cut down some trees, and as we were cutting them up, I came across this branch. And as you can see here, uh, there was a wild vine that had weaved itself around the tree and around the branches to the point that the tree itself was dead. It, it killed the tree. But... It, the vine and the tree became one, but the vine was still alive. And I thought to myself, God is amazing. We were just talking about this. The Bible would tell us in Romans 6, 16, to who you yield yourself a servant to, that's who you are a slave to. That's who you will obey. Of course, Galatians would tell us, you'll reap what you sow. And so God was giving us a beautiful object lesson there, and, and, and I was just amazed at it. And I told my son, I said, look at that. You see, if you open the door and you let the enemy in, if you allow yourself to view things that promote lying and stealing and corruption and violence and crime and immorality, if you sit there and you allow yourself to watch it, whether it's on TV or social media or on a video game, 
Satan is weaving his very attributes into your mind. You're not becoming more and more like Christ. Unbeknown to you, you're becoming more and more like him. And when I was a little kid and I got involved in video games and I started watching all these different things, it did not happen overnight. It was over a progression of time. He's very patient in how he works to captivate and bind the mind and the soul to himself. And I would find myself later in my later years acting and behaving just like a demon. Praise God for deliverance. I told my son, I said, now let's look at something here. I said, let's see where that vine originated at out of the ground. And we looked around, we cleared the, 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 the brush and that, and we found it. And that vine had came out of the ground probably about, oh, six, eight inches away from the, the base of the tree. And I said, you know what? There's a beautiful object lesson right there. Let us not see how close we can get to the edge of the cliff without falling over. There's a lot of Christians today that are, they want to they say, I'm in the gray area. You know there's a gray area. They make up this gray area. There's no integrity, friends, in the gray area. You're either all in or you're not. God says there's light and darkness. Can't, they cannot blend together. Message to the young people, page 45. In perfecting a Christian character, it is essential to preserve, I'm sorry, it is essential to persevere in the right, in right doing. I would impress upon our youth the importance of perseverance and energy in the work of character building. From the earliest years, it is necessary to weave into the character principles of stern integrity that the youth may reach the highest standard of manhood and womanhood. They should ever keep the fact before their eyes that they have been bought with a price and should glorify God in their bodies and spirit, which are His. Well, I can assure you parents out there that your children aren't going to naturally gravitate to principles of integrity. And if you're a parent and you're not living by example, how can you expect your children to live the way the Bible declares? There's a lot of parents out there today, and I'll tell you, if you're allowing your kids to play violent video games, you're allowing your kids to watch movies that promote violence and witchcraft and crime and immorality, are you not sacrificing your children to devils? That broke the heart of God as he watched his children of Israel do the same thing. And today, we wonder why nobody's, no youth are interested in mission. I won't say none, but very few. We wonder why that they're not coming into the church and they're filling the pews. They're not interested in Sabbath school in their later years. We wonder why they walk away from the church. And people are quick to blame the church. The church is too stern. It's too restrictive. It's too this and that has nothing to do with the church. It has everything to do with biblical integrity and the way we raise our children. And if we don't live by example, then what hope do they have? Who's going to give it to them? Who's going to teach them the good and the right way? Hollywood's not going to do it. Nintendo's not going to do it. PlayStation's not going to do it. I can assure you that Satan's quick to shape and mold that mind. 
and make them completely his. Friends, does your professed Christian life reveal the fact that you would not have Christ reign over you because you deny to live by godly principles that would build integrity in your life? Is it wrong for a spouse to ask a husband or a wife to turn away from things that would corrupt the marriage? Absolutely not. You'd expect it. How much more God in our life and our walk with Him? If you find yourself in a situation, maybe this is what's been going on in your life, take heart. God said, where sin abounds, grace will abound much more. Romans 5.20. In other words, that no matter how much corruption that's been around us, how much corruption we may be influenced by or has maybe overcome us, He's got grace, friends, divine power to set us free. He's not only willing to forgive, but He's willing to set free. You know, when we read Isaiah 53, He did this for you and me. Not just so that He could forgive us, as I read in a quote the other day, but so that He could rebeautify, transform, and reconstruct a life and transform us into His likeness, His image, once again. You know, friends, there's hope. When the Israelites asked for a king, I found this really amazing, when they said to Samuel, give us a king, he was heartbroken. And God told him, look, don't take it, don't take it personal, Samuel. They just won't have me reign over them. Go ahead and give them what they want. And he did. And then God would speak to them. And they found themselves sore afraid. And in 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel would tell the people this when they realized how foolishly they had behaved. Samuel said unto the people, Fear not, you have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and turn ye not aside. For then should ye go after vain things which, not, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Now listen to this. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Don't miss that. Now look, you may find yourself in a position where you've been living a life that has not been one of Christian integrity. You may have had biases. You may be racist. You may be watching and feeding on the enemy's buffet, but God is saying, if you will turn from your wicked ways, I am pleased to make you my children. And I got sufficient grace to make it happen. Steps to Christ. Desire for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But if you stop there, they will avail nothing. Many will be lost while hoping and desire to be Christians. They do not come to the point of yielding the will to God. They do not now choose to be Christians. Remember yesterday, or it was on Monday, I talked about Isaiah 119. He says, if you're willing, he can do something with you. See, if you're willing to give up and turn away from these things that corrupt the life, destroy the soul, and actually give you a false profession, 
God is able to do something with you, but you must be willing. I find it interesting in Revelation, there's two classes of people. They both have a name. Read Revelation in 14 and read Revelation 13. Revelation 14, it tells us that there's this group of people that have their father's name written in their foreheads, speaking of God. They have his character there. They act and live like Christ. They're Christians. And then you'd read in Revelation 13, 17, that no man may buy or sell save he that had the mark. And we only talk about the mark of the beast. But it also says, or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Now, name represents character. We're living in a time that our character is going to determine where we go for eternity. It's going to determine on how we respond to end time events. It's going to reveal what camp we find ourselves in. Friends, Romans 8, 19 tells us that creation itself travails and mourns. It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. And God is waiting for you and I to say, you know what, Lord, I realize that's wrong in my life and I want to give it up. And I can tell you that it was not easy for me to just step away from everything I was watching because it was so hypnotic. I could walk by it and it would grab me and almost pull me in. I realized then how much of a hold Satan had on me and I'd get down on my knees and I'd plead with the Lord, Lord, I don't want it. I want purity of mind. I want purity of thought. I want my eyes to look straight on and I don't want to be corrupted by the enemy. But you have to propose in your heart like Daniel did, like Joseph did, like Christ did. And when you do so, God will come alongside you and He'll empower you and give you strength. Yes, friends, where sin has abounded, His grace, His power will abound much more. Education, page 57, final quote here. Many of you know this. Take a picture of it. Save it. Memorize it. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their innermost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its rightful name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right though the heavens fall. Men and women of integrity. God had demonstrated it. He continues to demonstrate it in our life. You can look through the Bible and see other individuals just like you and I living in a broken, corrupt, dysfunctional world but stood as people of integrity. It can be done through the power of God. Is it your desire to allow Him to write integrity in your heart, friends? He's going to do it. He's willing to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to let him write today 
integrity in your life. Remember, Jesus said, you might say unto me, Lord, Lord. You may have said, you know what? I went, to, I went to Sabbath school. I went to church every Sabbath. I paid my tithe. I ate right. These were health-reforming, tithe-paying, Sabbath-keeping Christians. And he would say to them, I never knew you. If you're not willing, friends, if you hear the voice of God speaking to you today, I, I, I want to encourage you, heed that voice. Put the stuff away. Burn it. Get rid of it. Throw it away. Have a bonfire. Please don't take it to neighbor to neighbor. And please don't have a yard sale. Because your neighbor's going to come over and they're going to buy it and then you're going to go over and knock on their door and witness to them and they're going to say, you sold it to me. When you clean the house, let it be consumed with fire. Burn the stuff up. It belongs to Satan. It represents him. Get rid of it. Don't pass it on to somebody else. And so I want to encourage you. Get on your knees and pray and say, Lord, is there something in my house that represents and promotes Satan's attributes and his character? And when God shows you, take it out to the bonfire. Is that what you're willing to do, friends? Because you have to be willing to do that if you want integrity written in the heart. If that's your desire, I invite you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. God will do it. Let's pray. Gracious, loving Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to be people of integrity. The world is in want of people in such a character as this. Father, among your church, among Christianity today, Many people are appalled at what they see because your children are not rightly representing you. But Lord, today, as I've made this appeal, hands have went up, hearts have opened up, and you have made a note in heaven, and you will fulfill the promise that when we ask, we shall receive. Lord, show us what we may have in our house what we may be sharing with our children, allowing our grandchildren to play. Forgive us, Lord, for where we have bought things that have been of the world and we have sacrificed our children to devils. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not lived the Christian life of integrity. And cleanse our hearts, Father, and give us the grace that we are in so desperately need of. May your Holy Spirit write and write deeper today than yesterday and deeper tomorrow than today. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.